Hello everybody and welcome along to this month's Property Investment Webinar. This is Property Life here with your old friends at Opus Partners and we are so pleased to be back with you. Now I always like to do a little bit of a sound check right at the start here just to make sure that everybody can hear us and usually I'd ask you what colour Andrew's shirt is but he's just popped right outside of the camera and here he is. Now my question for you tonight is the sound check is what is the name of our latest book or first book? I don't know if you could call it latest if it's your first no, it's one. Latest and first. What is the name of our latest book? And pop that in the chat just so we can make sure that everybody is listening. Uh, cool. Taylor t said wealth plan. Cool. There's a lot of you guys, guys there. Emma, sweet. You guys can hear us. That is the main thing. And if you haven't heard about our book yet, um, the name's down in the chat. It is called Wealth Plan. Now, tonight we've got a really exciting topic. We're going to be talking about how do you build a passive income through property and why would you even want to do that in the first place? This is going to be a lot of fun and I know you're going to get a lot of value out of it. Now, there are still people coming through in the chat and joining the webinar, but we're just going to rip straight into it because they'll join as we get here. Now, Andrew, you're going to do the wee intro for us oh, tonight. Intro for me tonight. All right, so tonight, David, <laughs> there we go. We're going to cover, oh, hang on, here we go. Right, tonight we're going to cover how to go from $0, doesn't sound that fun, to 100k passive income. So by building up your wealth and then living on the riches. <clears throat> and look, every good webinar has to have a legal disclaimer, so here's ours. Tonight is a webinar, it's not personalised financial advice, which is basically the equivalent of the magician telling you not to do this at home yourself. So if you feel that some of this stuff resonates with you, you want to talk to a financial advisor if you want to actually do anything yourself. Here's what you're going to get tonight. You're going to get the recording for free, you're going to get the webinar for free, and you're get, going to get the question and answers for free. And I just want to say, that's one of the most uh, beneficial parts of the evening, actually being able to interact with us live, but also with everyone else listening and watching. So make sure you join in on the comments section and the uh, Q&A. And on that note, can you please make sure if you're talking in the chat that you have your uh, messages set to everyone, not just the panellists, which is Ed and myself, you want to have it set to everyone so that everyone can see what you're, answer what you're asking and you can interact together. And That's such an important one because often people will say, oh, Ed and Andrew, can you chat with us a little bit more in the, in the chat throughout the webinar? And the honest truth is that sometimes we just can't because we're busy talking away or showing you guys, uh, the couple of hundred of you guys here tonight, uh, what's going on with property investment. But the great news is there's such a wonderful community down in the chat who are there to answer your questions. And there are some people who come to every single webinar, answer your questions, and we are so grateful that you do. And Andrew, tell us about the last one oh, that you now, always tell us now about. this is just my one that I always <coughs> want to make sure that we answer as many questions as possible. Now, if you put them in the chat, there's a good chance we're not going to see them. We try and answer them, but there's so much chat going on, we might miss them. So, down the bottom, there's a Q&A tab, and I can see someone's already put a question in there, which is great. At the end of the webinar, Ed and I will go through as many as we can in the Q&A section. So if you've got a question, put it under Q&A so we don't miss it. If it's in the chat, we may see it or someone else might answer it. If Jade's listening, which I'm, which I'm, I'm sure you'll get an answer, but anyway, if we see it in the uh, chat, we will, but Q&A, we definitely will. Okay, 
Here's the next one. Oh, thank you, Eddie. Uh, right, why should I listen to these two blokes? If you're new to us, uh, we ha we host the Property Academy podcast, which is the number one business podcast in New Zealand. 6.4 million downloads, which we're really excited about and always growing. We've had 1,363 podcasts, 43 webinars. We own New Zealand Property Investor Magazine, Informed Investor Magazine, our book, is in the bookstores and it's selling out really, really well. And last year we spoke at about 10 of the property investors associations and I don't say all this to boast uh, or to explain the bags under our eyes. I say this just to, just to point out, we kind of know a thing or two about property investment. Ed is an economist here at Opus Partners. He's the host of the Property Academy podcast. He is an author and a property investor himself. I'm, the, uh, I'm a financial advisor, the managing director of Opus Partners, and host the Property Academy podcast, author and investor as well. So enough about us. Here's what you're gonna learn tonight. We're gonna do a case study about a couple who want to have a passive income. And this will hopefully <coughs> resonate with some of you. We're gonna tell you what types of properties they should invest in to get there. And we're gonna talk about how you can actually afford to start investing, and if you actually can at all. Now, the really interesting thing about this case study, and in fact about this entire webinar tonight, is that if you have heard us speak before, there is almost nothing tonight that we're going to share that you won't have heard before. But here's the thing. Uh, just do a little thought experiment. How many of you have listened to podcasts or, or been to uh, one of our webinars before, maybe even read the book. Probably a lot of you guys have heard us speak before or heard something from us before. But if I was to ask you, who here is doing absolutely everything that we tell you to do in the book, in the podcast, in the webinar, on the Instagram, on YouTube, there's probably not a lot of people doing absolutely everything. So tonight's really cool because we are going to talk you back through the basics and why we're investing in property at all in the first place and how to build that passive income. So we're going to start with this case study of a couple 42 and 40 years old. They've got two kids and they're both earning 75 grand each and we'll call them Bobby and Susie. Now they've got KiwiSaver, but they're not really thinking about retirement at all at the moment. And one of the things that I'd encourage these guys, Bobby and Susie, to think about is, what do you want your retirement to actually look like? Now if I asked you guys at home, you'd probably say, I wanna go on some holidays, I wanna look after my grandkids, I wanna spend time with my family, and I wanna be able to enjoy my life once I stop working. And this is a really uh, daunting question for a lot of people because most people haven't actually sat down and thought about what retirement looks like. And think of it this way, it's the weekend, but every single day. Now, the challenging part about the weekends is that's probably when most of you spend the most money because you've actually got time to. I spend nothing during the week because I'm at work. I buy coffee and... The oh, I've been out for lunch <laughs> with you. You <laughs> spend listen, money. Listen, the company spends money. But look, at work, you tend not to spend as much as in the weekend when you can actually go and travel or you can have a holiday or you can go out for dinner and, um, and, and actually spend up. So retirement for a lot of people is a lot more expensive than perhaps they think. And actually... Actually putting a number on to quantify that can be quite challenging. Now Megan has said something great. She says she doesn't want to worry about the cost of power at a cauliflower. And I think that's really important because <laughs> if I talk to you about life on the pension, how much do you get as a couple per week today if you retire at 65? The answer is 
$763 per week. Is that in the hand? That's what I get in the hand? That's in the hand after tax. Now, here's the thing. According to a recent Massey University study, you've got to spend about $202 a week on household expenses. That's for things like your rates, your insurance, your maintenance on your house, and some electricity. And what that means is that you get $561 a week, and that is for your living expenses. So what I want you to think about when you're thinking about why we want a passive income and why we're going to invest in property, you want to think about budgeting on $561 a week. Now, that's for your ability to eat and feed yourself, for you and your partner, uh, if you have one. That's for your holidays, for any presents for the grandkids, any of the things that make life worth living, you've basically got 561 bucks a week to spend. Now, remember, that's not us saying it. This isn't like the other data that we just make up here. Oh, you stole my joke. Ed said that if I used that joke, he was going to stab me on air. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this comes from the New Zealand Retirement Expenditure Guidelines. This comes from the uh, New Zealand Financial Education Centre at Massey University. They release a report every single week. And what they say is that if you're going to spend, if you're just going to live on the pension, 561 bucks a week, once I adjust a few things, that's what you get. Now, what I want you to think about is, well, what can you spend for 561 bucks a week? Well, they actually release a budget. And what they say is, if you just live on the pension, you can basically spend about $18 a week on fruit and veggies, and that's for two people. $18. Now, I'm going to give you an actual story. Well, Eva's story is an actual okay, story. Let's a get real the cab story. Back on Andrew, a real then. story. So last night I got a phone call from uh, one of my best friends, Mickey Limmer, who works in Opus Real Estate. He rings me up and he said, it doesn't even say hello, he just goes, Do you know how much a cucumber is? Oh, can I guess? Uh, you can take a guess. I think it's $6.99. Yeah, you've been on the countdown website. I saw it on your tab. It's, it's $6. I guessed a dollar. No, you clearly have not been in a supermarket within the last 30 years <laughs> if you think a cucumber costs a dollar. Well, what I do know is going to the supermarket is really expensive. And well, if you can actually find fruit and vegetables in the aisles at the moment, because half of them aren't there, but things like avocados, cucumbers, it turns out, all sorts of things. You can't live a lot on $18. And actually, let's go into that. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to pull up for you guys. That's some data we're going to get into later. This is New World's, uh, oh, I've already got something in there for 72 cents in my trolley. Get your bananas I'm out, I'm going to get buddy. the banana Th out. This is a joint household and we'll decide together. So okay. what's going to happen is Andrew and I, we're going to sit here and we're going to add up our $18 a week for what he and I are going to eat because now we're retiring together <laughs> as a couple. <laughs> okay. So Andrew... <coughs> What do you want in your shopping trolley this week for your $18? Okay, I would... Oh, Jesus. Um, a, a broccoli, so I can make a stir-fry. You want a broccoli? So yep. we'll add that in, $2.99. Uh, red capsicum is going to throw me out. No, people. we're not buying that red capsicum. $4.50, that's outrageous. Let's get some bananas because I don't think I can do much else. How many bananas do you want? Let's get five. Five? Okay, who's having three? Me. Yeah, okay, How well we're up that? to six fifty nine. Okay, get some tomatoes, I love tomatoes. Well, no, tomatoes are too expensive. Just get two. No, 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 we're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not doing that. We could get some potatoes. Okay, um, 
What are we going to get? We're going to get four potatoes. Okay. And then maybe a bag Holy of spinach. Hell. I want a bag of spinach. Okay. And maybe we could get some carrots. We'll get one carrot. No, I think no, we might be able four. to get four. No, we can. Okay. We can still do yeah, that. Yeah, but we don't have much to... This is a, the worst <laughs> episode of Ready, Steady, Cook I've ever seen. But my point is that we've got our broccoli, we've got some bananas. I love how the Get chat, rid of the corn. I hate corn. Devil's fruit. Well, that's why I get one corn and you get three bananas. That's how it works. Wow. Um, just, just by the way, it's. Um, I saw in the chat Eddie said that it's per um, that it's per kilo. That's actually not the case. If you see there, I've done it as each, just so it's really obvious. So you don't get oh, four yeah, kilos. Oh yeah, no room for pet food. I'm oh, not getting rid of Tiffany. That's true. So my point here is that by the time we spend eighteen bucks a week on uh, on f fruit and veggies. You know, it's it's not a lot of money. There are no. some other things. Now that I saw someone say not a lot of room for wine, which would be a real <laughs> we're a real a drastic shock to the Nicola McKnight household if that were a thing. Um, you get twelve dollars a week budgeted for alcohol. Now we like going to the um, OGB and the Austin Club, which is just underneath our office in Christchurch. We would get to go once a fortnight and share a cocktail. Well, that wouldn't be too much of an issue. We could get, we could ask for a wee cocktail and get two straws once a fortnight. I don't know about that. And look, we're, we're not trying to um, make fun of living on the pension because no. that's the reality of life for um, quite a significant number of Kiwis. I but think what we are trying to say is that there are some really hard choices that you have to make if you do live on the pension and it is going to be really tight to budget uh, because there, it's not the sort of amount of money that you can live a really luxurious lifestyle on or even a really comfortable lifestyle. It is going to be tight. And I think for people who are used to going out and enjoying you know, a cocktail at OGB and go, uh, going out to dinner once a week and all those kind of things, you either need to decide, OK, I need to build more wealth so I can do that later on or I'm not going to do that later on. And that's OK as well. If you're quite prepared to give up those things that you're doing now, that's OK, but you just have to be very aware that one way or another you're going to have to sacrifice, now or later. I'll give you one more example actually, Andrew. So I took my partner for the first time on Friday night to New Zealand Opera's uh, Cosi Fan Tutte, which is the opera, because I thought, oh, she should go to that. Well, if we, uh, and I know that, go to the opera is something a lot of retired people like to do, though, you know, perhaps you guys online, not everybody's going to be into it. For our budget per week, for the two of us, we're going to get $28 for culture and recreation. That's to entertain ourselves. But a seat to that specific show is about $79 each. I think it's $71 for a pensioner. So maybe if we save up our budget for three three weeks, you know, we can sit on top of each other at the opera. And what I just want to show you is the actual budget that uh, the Massey University study comes out with. So in total, we can spend $120 uh, a week on food for the two of us. So we can spend uh, $21.50 a week on meat and poultry. Uh, what else can we get? $25 maybe on either restaurant meals or ready to eat. Uh, Andrew, you're a bit upset that there was only $12.39 for alcoholic <laughs> beverages, tobacco and illicit drugs. It's not going to go far. Um, what about? I so this was probably one of the more confronting ones when I was reading this today. So clothing, $9.30 a week as a couple, and footwear, nothing. So 
I don't know, if, you, if anyone's got a partner like my partner, Lauren, that is probably going to be enough for her to want to start investing now. Well, and this is, this is the thing. The th- we often talk about on the podcast that investing in property isn't free. It costs money. And it's money that you either are going to spend on yourself now or maybe you're going to spend on your house or something else. But it is going to take money to invest in property. So if we're going to take money that we'd otherwise spend on ourselves and, and spend it instead on our future selves, we want to really understand the reason behind that. And one thing that I want to show you, we're going to dig into this more in a moment. This is the actual report from Massey University study. And what they do is they give you uh, two different lifestyles, the no frills and the choices lifestyle. Now, what I want to show you is if you are living no frills in a metropolitan city, so that's Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, maybe even Palmerston North, New Plymouth, places like that. Now, bear in mind, at the time this report was released, you would need $931 a week just to live what they call the no-frills lifestyle. Now, New Zealand Super, at the time they released that report, was $712 a week. So even if you want to live that no-frills lifestyle, you're going to be short about $219 a week if just living on the New Zealand superannuation. And here's the truth. What are we going to need to do to make up that money? Well, we're going to need to invest in something. Now, that could be savings. It doesn't have to be property. It could be shares. It could be crypto if you're really up to it, though we're not telling you to do that. But we've got to invest in something to help make up that difference. And one of the things I I want to talk to you about in a second is uh, what that higher lifestyle looks like, what that, that more comfortable lifestyle looks like. But just before we get into that, I want to run a poll. So I realise there are a range of New Zealanders on here tonight. And what I want to understand is, could you live a good lifestyle? And I'm talking about what you'd be happy with in retirement, not as a, a challenge for a couple of weeks, could you get by for a couple of weeks, but could you live a good lifestyle in retirement for you and your partner, if you have one, on 561 bucks a week that's for two people. And I just want to get a sense of where people at. So is it, yep, it sounds about right, or or not a chance, I need a drink, I need a holiday. Because if you're on the 561 bucks a week, chances are you're probably not going on holiday overseas. You know, maybe in, you don't have a camper van to uh, go around New Zealand is. And uh, once we get to maybe, oh, let's say 400-odd responses, because we've got about almost 600 people on tonight so far. That's uh, great. We'll close it off, share some of those results, and we'll close it off in three, two, one. I'm going to end that and share that. So about 3% of you, um, 13 out of the 386 people who answered that, say, yep, I can live on that. And I think that's great. Hey, if you can live on that, you can almost stop the webinar now and head away because you're good. If you're happy living on the pension, you don't need to invest in property. But for those people who are saying, um, actually, not going to be enough for me, that's 97% of you, then stick around because this is what we're going to talk about. Because you're going to need to get some amount of assets so that you are then able to live that lifestyle you want in retirement. So in the report, they talk about the choices lifestyle. Now, this is not the top 20% of retirees. It's not really rich people. 
It's people who are slightly above average, but not massively rich. And what it shows is that New Zealand retirees, this is real people spending money, are spending about 16 and a half hundred bucks a week. $1,657 per week is what they're actually spending today. Now, if we think about the pension, it gives us 767 bucks a week. That means that we're $890 a week short. Now, if any of you were very eagle-eyed, you'd notice these numbers are slightly different from the report I showed you. The reason is, We've had lots of inflation, the cost of living's gone up recently, so has the pension, and so I've just inflation adjusted those numbers for you to make them really accurate. So you might ask yourself, how could I make 890 bucks a week through property? And I'll hand it over to you, Andrew. Yeah, so this is something that, again, people work out all manner of ways to actually get there, but we're going to focus on the property side of things because that's what we're good at. So... If you bought a property worth $780,000, and I'll go into more detail of what this might look like later on, $780,000, and you got rent of $900 per week. Now, the most important thing, if you're going to live off your portfolio, is you can't have a mortgage. You have to have got rid of your mortgage on your rental properties to be able to actually enjoy the fruits of it, because you can't have debt on it, otherwise it'll just get soaked up in, in debt repayments. <laughs> Mark just said this got very sobering. Take another sip, Mark. Um, rates, insurance, maintenance, you're going to have to factor in probably a third of that cost, so $300 a week going out for just those fixed costs that you have to pay. And this is the type of property you might buy. This here is an example of what's called a dual key apartment, a dual key apartment. Now what that means is you're buying essentially two apartments in one. Now you'll see down the very bottom there, there's an entrance in which separates you off into either a one bedroom apartment, a studio apartment on the left hand side, or a, a separate one bedroom apartment on the right hand side. Both of them are um, livable as separate tenancies, or you can actually rent it out as one as well. And Gareth just said that property looks like a unicorn. So. What he's saying there is that amount of rent looks really high compared to the value of the property. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the next section of the webinar. But the reason that rent is high is because this is what we would call a high-yielding property. It's a very specific property where you've got two rental incomes within one. Now, that's the reason why you can get a really good rental return for the money you're spending. But agreed, not every property is going to look like this. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Absolutely. And Megan said, what about insurance? I factored in the cost of maintain, uh, insuring or body corporate within this. We've factored that in. Now, if you don't have a mortgage and you're just paying out 300 in costs, you do have tax to pay as well. So we've factored in tax of $120 uh, a week. So the take home is $480 per week. And for anyone here that's thinking, oh, this seems too good to be true, we absolutely deal with these type of problems every day. So uh, this is actual numbers of real properties. So that property has got $900 a week coming in. You're going to need to have two of them to get to the value that we're talking about. So take off your expenses. You're spending money per property. It's $480. And you've got $960 a week coming in. Remember, your goal was $890 a week. So you're above that goal in this example. 
Now, one thing that I should mention is that we're trying to make this really simple because this is one of the core things we talk about within our book, Wealth Plan, is how do you eventually get, and this is kind of the, the gold standard of what we want to get to, is get to the point where we've got a couple of properties that are high yielding with no mortgage so we can just live off the rent coming through. And what would that kind of lifestyle look like? So at that stage, you've got superannuation coming in of 700, uh, 763. You've got two properties which net out. Yes, you're right, Ramiz, 3.2% net yield. So $480 a week per property. Your spending money is $1,700 a week. So you've got a bit of a buffer there. And look, that gives you that lifestyle that Massey University call the choices lifestyle. Uh, that gives you the choices lifestyle. And that's pretty much what we see every day working with Kiwis. They want to spend about $1,500 uh, in the hand on their kind of lifestyle. Phil said no tax on the income. We've already taken tax out, Phil. That's correct. So if you've read our book, Wealth Plan, this is what we call the golden goose strategy. Now, the main question that you're all probably thinking is, okay, sweet, Ed and Andrew, I'm with you. I get that I want to have some properties, some high yielding properties with no debt, but how do I get there, right? That's what most of you are going to be thinking. I get that I need to invest. I get that super is probably not going to cover my lifestyle in retirement. So how do I get to the point where I can have those two properties without any debt? Well, this is where we start to use a tool. And in this case, we're going to take you through uh, the piece of software that we use here at Opus Parts to give you a real example. Uh, we're going to use our software called My Wealth Plan to give you an example of how we get there. And the rest of the webinar is pretty much about how we get to the point where we can have those properties with no debt on them. So uh, let's stop sharing the screen up there. And we're going to come to Andrew. You're going to take us through an example using My Wealth Plan. Yeah, so can everyone see my screen? Yeah, make it full screen. Oh, there we go. Okay, great. So you can see that there? Yeah. Great. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to use the Wealth Plan to work out a passive income strategy, which is, again, the golden goose strategy if you've read our book. Now, what we do here is we put in how much of an income you want to live on in retirement, so $100,000 is the default there, so that's perfect, and you said those people were 40 and 42? 40 and 42 was the case study we gave right at the start of Bob and Susie. So let's work on 23 years, so when when the, um, when, why is that not letting me type? It's because you're using my, my oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, all right. Honestly, he's a technical Luddite. 23 years. So when the, the youngest, uh, oldest person turns 65, the youngest person, they get to retire early because they married someone younger, uh, uh, older. Right, now, in terms of what they've got at the moment, you said they had some Kiwi saver. Now, the oldest person will get it, but the youngest person won't, Ed. So we can only factor in one. So what Andrew's talking about there, just to, to make this really clear, is we've factored this in as the couple of 42 and 40. And so by the time we get to 65, which is 23 years, only one person will be eligible. And I think let's make, let's use generous assumptions so that sure. people don't think we're nickel and diming here. Sure. <laughs> so we said it was Bobby's KiwiSaver. Yep, Bobby. Kiwi saver. How much has is Bobby the girl or the boy? No, Bob because Bobby and Susie. The boy's right. not called Susie, is well, he? I don't know. Nowadays you don't know. Current value? 
Uh, let's say $100,000. Would that be about right for probably, somebody Probably 42? not on $75,000 yeah. a year income. No, I'd say probably like $53,000. Okay, cool. Current income is $75,000 a year. They're putting 3% in and they're getting 3% matched by their employer. And let's put them on an aggressive fund because they're obviously a long way off from the retirement, so that would probably be fairly normal. Now... Do you want to factor in government superannuation? Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to put this as a couple or an individual? I think for the purposes of it, I, would, I want to put in a couple. Okay, we're going to put in a couple, but remember, the younger person isn't going to be at the age of eligibility, so they're not going to qualify for their part yet. So there is going to be a little bit of a gap here, but let's just keep this really simple. Should we add the, add the other superannuation in then now as well? The other Kiwi Saver? Yeah, go on. All right. I want to make this um, as, as generous as possible, generous as possible sure. because that's going to, you know, then people aren't going to say, oh, they're trying to make the numbers look bad. Okay, all right. <laughs> Kiwi Saver. Um, how much has Susie got? Same amount. Oh, I reckon make it the same, 53. Now, I just want to check your Kiwi Saver uh, assumption as well. Sorry, yeah. not your Kiwi Saver, your superannuation three, assumption. Three. Yep, 3%, 3% aggressive fund. All right. Oh, yeah, you yeah. made it all single. Right, all right. So, right. so just to clarify, we've got both of their KiwiSavers and they're carrying on making contributions for the next 23 years. I've got the superannuation as a couple. Do they have any um, savings? Do they have a shares account? They, they just got KiwiSaver. We said before, they're not really thinking about retirement. Okay. All right. So... This shows that based on a 4% return on their assets when they get to retirement, minus the superannuation that they've got, they're on track for a lifestyle of 62000 which is actually better than most. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. But their goal is 100000 so they've got to save an additional $942,000. Well, that's what they need to build up in assets without debt. That's got to be their net assets over the next 23 years. What's so funny, Edwards? I'm just laughing that Celia and Megan are trying, it's like um, Tinder in the chat. They're talking about, is anybody single? So, <laughs> and Ken, I'll marry you for a fee that's big enough for a deposit for a new bill. Megan, you're taking the I, earn baby earn strategy very Megan's, seriously. I love Megan's dedication. Now, if, the, if this couple just wanted to save their way to retirement, which is, again, a completely legitimate strategy if you're very risk adverse and you just, you've got the cash to be able to do it, they'd have to save $41,000 a year. Does everyone see that? Now, $41,000 on a household income of 150 gross is probably not actually feasible. You'd have to be saving 800 bucks a week, and I don't know many people saving 800 bucks a week. No. Now, Andrew, I see you hovering over the next button. We're actually going to come back to that. Oh, okay. So what we're trying to show here is this is about calculating how much money do they need to save. So by the time they get to 65, they've got their KiwiSavers, but how much additional money do they need to generate so that they are then able to purchase those high-yielding properties with no debt? And I'm going to get you to stop sharing your screen by hitting that red button there, Andrew, mm -hmm. because that's what we're doing there. Now, if you've read our book, this is chapter 8. It's calculating the length of your race. That's exactly what we're doing there, and we're going to come back to that. But... In that example, we talked about that Susie and Bobby would need to save up about almost a million dollars, let's call it, within the next 23 years. And then the question becomes, how do you create 
that million dollars of equity? How do they get that 950 odd K? And that comes to where you invest in property. And so let's get into our section, second section, which is what sort of properties are we going to invest in so that we are then able to create that wealth so we can retire well? Well, there are three types of properties that we talk about both here at Opus Partners and within the book. They're called growth properties, yield properties, and lemons. And all types of properties exist somewhere on this spectrum. We've got properties that are high growth, which means they increase in value really quickly, but their yield is not going to be as good. The cash flow you get on it, not going to be as good. Similarly, you might have yield properties. Now, they're not going to increase in value as fast, but they're going to get a good rental return. Now, those are the types of ones that Andrew showed you before. You know, some of you said those look like unicorn rental yields. They look massively high. Well, that's only for a yield property that isn't going to grow in value as fast. And then we get lemons. Now, these are neither growth nor yield. And I'll give you some examples about what these actually look like in a moment. So a growth property, one that's going to increase in value more quickly, that's going to be something like a townhouse or a standalone house. Something that a family's going to like living in and people are, are going to get emotionally invested in and bid up the price on. We talk about these all the time on the Property Academy podcast. The second type of property are those yield properties. Now these are most likely to be either an apartment, a dual key apartment or a room by room rental. Now, we all know, and we've done the modeling on this, apartments don't increase in value as much as growth properties. They don't increase in value as fast, but they do give us a good rental return. Now, when we talk about lemons, usually we're talking about old, beaten up houses that require a lot of maintenance. I mean, Andrew, for several years, you've been talking about on the podcast, 321 Wilson's Road, that's not a made-up address, That's that was, yeah. didn't increase in value quickly, but also gave it abysmal rental yield. Yeah, I know, and, and here's the problem. You say I bring it up all the time. You bring it up more than me. I think it's to make me look stupid. So basically, what happened? <laughs> what happened? People aren't here to listen to our bickering, mate. They're yes, here to they sort are. out their retirement. Um, so, so I bought um, uh, a house off my parents. So my parents were moving out of their house, and I thought, oh, well, I'll do them a solid, I'll buy that off them and I'll renovate it. And it's got a big plot of land out the back, so I know what I'll do. I'm smart, I know things about property, I'll be a developer. Anyway, do you know how many units I put on that development? Zero. Yeah, I know you do. And so I put zero units on it. Um, it, it was a hundred year old house in Waltham and Christchurch. Cost me a fortune in maintenance. I had like the roof, the hot water cylinder burst and pour water everywhere, it was it was just a lemon. And because I never developed it, I never turned it into the capital growth that it ought to be either. The only thing that saved me was that someone else, some other developer bought it off me eventually and, and maybe did something with it. So what we want to do is either invest in growth or yield properties. I think we can all agree we don't want to be investing in lemons. <clears throat> so that leads us to a really good question. Okay, so Bobby and Susie, they're thinking about their retirement now. They know that they want to build their wealth. Should they invest in a growth or a yield property? And I'm going to show you the numbers at today's interest rates, about 6.5%. So let's say they could either invest in a growth 
or they could have invested a yield property both for $750,000. Now, the cash flow, how much money is this property going to make in the first year while we've got really high interest rates? Well, your growth property, if you're borrowing all of the money to invest, and perhaps we can talk about this more in the next webinar section, but it's probably gonna cost you about 400 bucks a week to purchase that property. And the reason is that today, because of the interest rates, your rent from an investment property isn't gonna cover all of the costs of owning it. So you as a property investor are gonna to have to top it up. You're gonna to have to make a contribution. So it might be 400 bucks a week in the first year. For a yield property, hey, it's probably closer to 200 bucks a week. Now your growth properties, we estimate gonna increase at about 5% a year, while a yield property is going to increase by about 3.5% a year. So how much are those properties going to increase in value and we're going to do it over 15 years? Well, your growth property is going to, by these numbers or by this forecast, increase by about 810 grand per year. Your yield property, closer to 507k. But of course, what's the difference? Well, there's going to be cash flow differences. So if I model this out over 15 years, and you can download my spreadsheet absolutely for free in terms of how to actually run these numbers. But over a 15-year period, your growth property might cost you $80,000 in cash flow. That's because you're topping it up because the rent's not covering all of the costs. Your yield property, that's probably going to make you about $80,000 in cash flow. So your total wealth in 15 years well, your growth property, that made you 810 grand, but it costs you $80,000. So it made us all up about 730K. Our yield property, yep, it didn't increase in value as fast, you know, made over half a million dollars, but not as fast as the growth property, but we also got positive cash flow, about 80 grand in this instance. So our growth property made us 730K, almost. Our yield property, about, $586,500. Now the important point here is that the growth property makes 24% more money all up by this modeling. But here's the thing, to get that higher amount of growth, we actually have to put some cash flow in. We've got to top up that rental property, whereas you don't have to with the yield property. So I, I, I'm not trying to tell you that growth properties are going to be right for everybody, but for people who are trying to grow their wealth, they tend to be the better fit. Whereas yield properties are going to be a better fit for people who either aren't able to top up a property or who are more interested in the rental yield right now. And what I want to do now is another poll because the polls are always a bit of fun. If we think about the people who said, the 97% of you before who said, hey, look, I'm not going to be able to just live on the pension well, if you were to invest in property, and not everybody will, but if you were to invest in property, which sort of properties would you think you would invest in? Are you going to be investing in growth or yield properties? And I'll put that across your screen now. Everybody gets, gets to have a wee vote, and then we'll see where everybody's head's at. And again, there's probably going to be a split. Some people are going to say, I can't top up a property. I need to go for a yield property. Others are going to say, give me growth. 
uh, I need uh, to close my wealth gap. So we're going to wait until we've probably got again another 400 odd answers, then we'll close it off, share the results, and we'll all be able to see what's happening. I see David's put both, and that's <coughs> completely legitimate as well. Um, so a lot of uh, investors who are building a big portfolio do a combination of growth and yield properties because because let's face it, all of us have a limited amount of money that we can afford to top up, and then they'll complement that with a yield property. Absolutely. Let's end that poll now, and I'm going to put it across your screens. So about two-thirds of you, in fact, exactly two-thirds, are saying we've got to invest in growth properties first. About a third of you are saying, you know what? Yield properties are the ones I'm interested in. And that's perfectly legitimate. Hey, there are people out there that might be closer to retirement, not able to top up a property. Similarly, you might be uh, at the stage where you're ready to transition into that kind of more yield portfolio. But the one thing that I do want to talk about is, well, Ed, you guys are forecasting that house prices are going to increase by 35 or 5% per year. Is that really realistic? Well, if we look at how fast house prices have increased in the past, this is New Zealand house prices over the last 31 and a half years that we've got data for. What we see is that house prices have increased on average by about 6.5% per year. Now, does that mean that when we think about how fast house prices increase in the future, that they're going to increase by 6.5%? No. I mean, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen at all. But similarly, I would not bet on that happening exactly as it has in the past. In fact, when we run the numbers here at Opus Partners, we forecast that a growth property in Auckland, we say about 6% a year. And it's actually interesting. That's exactly what Tony Alexander, an independent economist, when he's come on our show, has said. Everywhere else in New Zealand, we say about 5% a year. So we're being more conservative than average. Similarly, we know that if you invest in a yield property like an apartment, it's likely not going to increase as fast as a growth property. And so we typically take, again, that more conservative approach of about 4.5% per year in Auckland and 3.5% everywhere else. We've talked about that on the podcast before. But my main message from this is, generally speaking, what you're going to do is first we are going to grow our wealth and then once we've grown our wealth, that is when we are going to be able to transition to yield properties, owning those, what some of you have called unicorn rents, and then we're going to live off the rent of those properties. Now, Andrew, what I want to do, again, to make this real for the people who are sitting at home watching this webinar, is I want you to bring back up that wealth plan for Bobby and Susie and start filling it out. So they want to create about a million dollars worth of uh, assets so they can then transition into yield. How would they actually go about doing that? Tom, okay, so let's... Um, do you want to buy in Christchurch or do you want to buy in Auckland? Uh, uh, sorry, do you want to buy in Christchurch <coughs> or Auckland? Those would be two places I'd recommend right now. I'd want to start in Christchurch. Okay. All right, so let's work on Christchurch and let's go quite an entry-level property. So um, Christchurch, growth property... Um, and let's work on a purchase price of, I'm just going to take that out so I can do the big reveal. Um, let's say a purchase price of $635,000, and that might get you a two-bedroom unit with a garage, say. 
Um, now, I'm going to work on no cash invested, and you might be thinking, how do I invest with no cash? We'll talk about that later. Um, and the capital growth rate in Christchurch, you said 5% for a growth property, so I'm going to change this. Now, just remember, we're at the moment, we're at 61% of the goal. 61,000 of, uh, of uh, 100,000. 5% growth. So that's taken us up to 93% of the goal. With one property. Now, how does that actually happen? Because, Andrew, I know there's going to be a lot of people sitting at home who say, guys, I look at the software, I yep. see the numbers changing. How is this happening? I get it. So the, the way that this is calculating this is that if you buy a property today and you don't pay down the debt, so again, a lot of people will be thinking, but you said no mortgage. Correct. No mortgage later when you're crossing the finish line. So I'm talking about buying a property, servicing the, de servicing the debt but based on your rent and your income, paying all the bills and holding that for, remember, 23 years. And then when you get to retirement, you're going to sell that and then you're going to buy the high-yielding property because this is a growth property. It's not giving you a good enough yield to be the right thing when you get to retirement. Now, if you're th sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get 5% capital growth again. Cool. Let's work on a 4% capital growth rate to be even more conservative. Doesn't make that much of a difference. You're still at $84,000, which is a hell of a lot better than $60,000. So then let's say, okay, that goes okay. And in a couple of years' time, I buy somewhere else. Now, let's say that we're not recommending... Uh, Christchurch or Hamilton or, or uh, sorry uh, or Auckland, Hamilton's the place to invest in, say five years time. And I'm just I'm just guessing, right? Let's say you buy a property in Hamilton, and it's again a growth property, and you're buying because the interest rates have come down. Christchurch is now paying for itself, or it's it's a nominal input. Um, and let's say again we work on a four percent capital growth rate. Hamilton will be more expensive than it is today, but let's say it's $700,000 and we're making it in five years' time. Let's see what that, that sounds works. quite cheap in five years' time. I know, but I'm trying to make it as good. 100% of the goal. So if you buy two properties and you get, remember, I've used 4% capital growth here. So I've been really conservative just because I, I'm trying to be a bit mean to the property side of things to make this, to make you see how realistic this is. So you've got now enough equity in those properties to, by the time you cash in your KiwiSaver, you use your superannuation as a couple, and you use the equity from these to buy high yielding properties without any debt, um, and uh, you've got now enough money for $100,000 a year passive income. Now, that's forever. It's not just for your life. That's for your kid's life or your grandchildren's life. I saw someone ask about that um, before. So we've gone now from $62,000 a year to $100,000 a year and closed a wealth gap of almost a million dollars. Now, these are all inflation-adjusted numbers in 23 years by buying two properties over a five-year period. That's exactly right. Now, I see that there are a couple of questions down in the chat. So, Andrew, what I want you to take us through is stop sharing your screen, hit yep. that nice red button, yep. and I want to come back and I want you to take us through effectively the steps that we're talking about here, just to make it really simple so we're all on the same page. Yeah, and this can get a bit confusing because you will have heard us, if you listen to the podcast, talk about interest-only mortgages. So they're always going to have a mortgage, right? 
So the step one is that you need to buy houses and townhouses. Why houses and townhouses? Well, quite simply because these go up faster than a yield property, an apartment or a room-by-room rental. So we're focused on as much growth as possible. That comes from houses and townhouses. And if you, if you want some stats around that, go to our website and search for houses versus townhouses versus apartments. Great article there. Step two, you hold them. And you hold them while they go up in value. And that does take time. So we use an example of someone looking at a 23-year window. So they've got a really good runway. They've got time for those properties to double or even more go up in value. And that's an important factor. So the older you get, the the less time you have, the more you need to do now to be able to get to your goal potentially. Step three you're going to sell those properties. So this is once we get to retirement, right? So 23 years from now, you're going to sell those. That's how you pay off the debt. Now they've gone up in value, so there's money left over once you pay back the bank. And with that money, with that leftover money, that's what you buy the high-yielding properties with no debt. You've done that with cash because your focus for the last 23 years in this example is buying for growth, not buying for yield. But now you're in the the uh, uh, crossing the finish line phase, if you've read our book, of enjoying the fruits of your labour. You want as much money as possible. The growth is less important now because your kids are going to spend the growth or your grandkids are going to spend the growth. You're about income. And then what's step number five? <laughs> step number five, enjoy it. Live off the rent. Yeah, live your life have your comfortable retirement. And one of the cool things about, um, I mean, this company turns 10 years old this year, um, and I've been helping investors for years before that as well. So I'm now in the um, fortunate position to actually be seeing investors transition into this part. See, actually, the rubber hit the road. Um, I worked with, um, talked with some investors over the weekend, and, and they've done really well, not with our service, just by themselves. They've got two properties with huge amounts of equity in it, huge amounts of equity, and they've got an Airbnb on their house, which generates 50 grand a year. Now, what it actually worked out to be once we put in all the numbers of the maintenance, the costs, the mortgages, the stuff that they're paying out at the moment, they net... $20,000 a year after tax on about $4 million worth of equity without their owner-occupied taken into consideration. So they're getting very little income off their portfolio. And so what they need to do now is cross the finish line, trans- transition their properties into high-yielding properties so that they can live off the rent for the rest of their life. Now, what I want to do is take it back to people who are maybe just starting out. Maybe you're like Bobby and Susie, you're 42, 40 years old, and you're just starting out in property investment, though I realise that there are a lot of people here who are already investing in property as well. And what I want to talk about is come to the third thing. So we've talked about the case study, how do you get that passive income? We've talked about what type of properties to invest in. Let's talk about whether you can actually start investing it. Andrew, walk us through how much it actually starts to invest. And we'll make sure that we do this relatively quickly because I know some people can only stay here for an hour. Okay, so let's talk about how much it costs to invest 
and today's dollars. Now, to start out, you've got to buy the property and look, entry level for a decent investment property is probably around the $550,000 mark. You've got some setup costs and that's something that often people forget about. So you've got a lawyer, you've got a valuation, you've got a builder's check, you've got a channel valuation. That's so important. Most people forget to tell you that it costs money just to buy a property. It's not just the purchase price. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to have four to seven K in your bank account in order to purchase a property to pay for those things like a building inspection because you might be able to get it from a mortgage uh, cashback when you take out a mortgage from the bank and some investors borrow it. But it's important to talk about the cost. And the last one, Andrew, is cash flow. It's cash flow. Look, in this, in this market right now, you've got the huge benefit of buying at a discounted rate. The market is absolutely down across New Zealand. So you get a cheap price, but your cash flow is going to suck. That's the reality of it. If you're borrowing 100%. If you've got cash in the bank to put in as a deposit, it's not going to suck as much. But if you're borrowing 100%, you do need to budget $350 a week to $500 a week, depending on what you're buying or where you're buying. Maybe even high, as high as $600 a week if you're buying in Auckland. And it's important to recognise that not everybody is, is uh, able to afford that, right? Like, not Absolutely. everybody on this webinar is going to be like, yep, sweet, I can do that. That's okay. That just means that perhaps while interest rates are high, property investment might not be uh, available right now. But that doesn't mean that if interest rates come down in a year or two, that property investment is a no-go at that point in time. That's right. And that's the thing to remember. There's pros and cons of every market. Right now, the prices are low, but the rates are high. Hey, if it doesn't work for you right now, you can still have a plan to buy in a couple of years when interest rates are down. Yes, prices will probably be up, but that's okay. But here's the thing, Andrew. To buy a house, you need to get a mortgage, right? Like you, Nobody's got 550k just lying around in the bank to purchase this property. No. And of course, to get a mortgage, you need deposit and income. So yep. how much deposit and income might we need in order to purchase a property? Okay, so if we start with a, a Christchurch property, two-bedroom townhouse, 550k, really easy numbers for a Tuesday night, you need to have a $110,000 deposit, which is a 20% deposit. Now just remember, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have $110,000 in the bank. Neither do I. No, that's just pretty normal. You can do this with equity if you've got this in an existing property. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you live in Auckland and your house is worth a million dollars and you've got a mortgage of $300,000 at the moment. Now, the $300,000 you've already borrowed and there's all, so the $700,000 worth of equity in your house and probably, you know, that's equity came from capital growth if you've been owning your house for a while. Now, you can't borrow all of the money against your house. So generally speaking, your house, you can borrow a maximum of 80% against the value. So that means you have to leave 20% in there as the bank's protection. Now, that's okay, because we're, we're miles below that. We're borrowing $110,000 because that's the deposit you need. So... $110,000 out of your 770 equity gets taken and that funds the deposit for your investment property. Now, just to be really clear, if you look at the right-hand side, you're borrowing 440 
from the bank against the investment property, you're borrowing 110 against your house. So you're borrowing the full 550, but it's made up of some money against your house, some money against the investment property. Total of $550,000 house. But just remember this, deposit is just one piece of the equation. You have to be able to service it as well, and that comes down to your income. You have to have enough income to afford a $550,000 loan against an investment property. So again, how much does it cost to invest? We've got to have enough money for the property. We've got to think about the setup costs. And we've also got to think about the cash flow. Now, if you want to delve deeper into this, we've got whole articles, whole ebooks, whole podcasts, all about the details of this. But we thought we can't talk to you about how you build a passive income through property without actually talking about what it takes to invest. But what I should mention is that if you've got a house with some equity, or you've got a cash deposit, then you might have enough deposit for an investment property. And look, if you earn an income and you've got some cash flow, then you might be able to invest. Of course, we can't tell all six or 700 of you that you could all invest right now. It depends on your individual numbers. But these are the three kind of things you'd need to be able to start that property investment journey. A house with some equity or a cash deposit, earning an income, and then some amount of cash flow as well. And so if you're then thinking, well, okay, I'm ready to go, I want to start investing in property, you've got to know the two ways to find investment properties. You can either find an investment property yourself, or of course, you can use a property investment company. Now, we here at Opus Partners, we're an example of a property investment company that goes out and finds investment properties or people like yourselves, people who want to invest in property. But do you know what? I actually want to show you how you would go about finding an investment property yourself. Yes, I am going to tell you how to invest in property without using our company, because I think that's the right thing to do. So the first thing that I'd be doing is I'd be jumping on our website, and you can get all of this data for free, and I would be looking at this graph. Now, I'm not going to explain all the nuts and bolts of how this works, uh, because we've done uh, whole webinars on this, but I would be looking at cities that are undervalued. So we've got data on our website, you can find it here and learn and then in the data hub and you can find our analysis of every single region in New Zealand. It's there for free guys, go and see it. And one area that we're really hot on at the moment of course is Christchurch. And the reason is that by our analysis it's still about 11% undervalued. Now somebody asked me, why aren't you guys talking about Dunedin? Well, we actually did a whole podcast that was just released yesterday actually about Dunedin, but I want to show you the reason. Because somebody said, well, Dunedin's overvalued at the moment. So by our analysis, let me zoom it in a little bit so you guys can see this. By our analysis, Dunedin's about 2.3% overvalued. Look, it's not too bad, but it's a bit more than what I'd usually want it to be. I've got an investor investing there right now with a property that we've recommended, but it's got to be the right deal. So uh, there, are, there are times that you can buy in an overvalued city, and there are reasons that an investor might invest there right now, and there's specific reasons for this investor, but as a blanket rule, it's overvalued. Places like Auckland, Places like Christchurch, these are undervalued. These are where we see the most growth in the short term. 
So after you've decided on the city, that's where you want to dive in a little bit deeper. Now again, this data is here for you for free. Anybody can do this. What I've got here are the suburbs of Christchurch with which properties grow in value the fastest. And look, you can just hover over it. Look, uh, Addington, can you see this? I, lo so I love in. this, um, this map. I'm, I'm going to zoom in so it's better for you. But Addington, 6.7% or 6.8% on average, house prices have increased there. Miravale, about 6.8%. God, prices there went off like a frog in a sock. But I'd be using this sort of map to find, well, where are the hot spots within a city? Where do house prices tend to increase the fastest? Because if you look at somewhere like Christchurch Central, they're not increasing as fast. But you've got to overlay this with the yield as well, because yield's one part of it as well. Now, just remember, we're not necessarily looking for yield properties if you're building your wealth, but you still need the yield to be attractive enough that this is manageable. So Merivale, which has got really high growth, has got very poor yield, 1.72%. It's not sustainable as an investment. So compare that to Addington or Sprayden, where you've got uh, closer to a 4% gross yield, generally speaking. So what you'd be, I'd be doing is if I was trying to find a property like myself, I'd be looking at these types of maps. Again, for the major cities, they're free on our website, looking for which properties are, far, are growing in value faster, but which parts of the city also give us really strong rental yields. By the way, guys, there are YouTube videos on our website that show how to do this for both Christchurch and Auckland, just go to uh, YouTube and search for best places to invest in Auckland, best places to invest in Christchurch. Right, after I'd found a target suburb, what I'd be looking for, and actually this is the exact process that our team follows when they're looking for properties for investors, is I would be going out and searching for properties. So there's another YouTube video where I actually look at this property here. It's a property called Cross Street and it's based in Christchurch. And what we did was we looked at the price, we looked at the number of bedrooms and we were looking for properties with a similar number of bedrooms. Then we were looking at ones with similar bathrooms, similar numbers of car parks, and similar floor areas. And I've got all of the links there. And we're looking at, can we find the best priced property? And the reason you do that is so that you can then go and do more analysis. So we're taking a very logical, structured approach to finding properties. First, we're looking at the region. Then we're looking at the part of the city. Now we're looking at specific properties in target suburbs that we're thinking about investing in so we can then do more analysis. And then, hey, if you've been following us on the podcast for years, you know which spreadsheet's coming next. We're going to look at the return on investment calculator. Now, this is where you can put in three different properties and run the numbers on them. You can look at the cash flow. You can look at how it's increasing in value. Now, I'm not going to take you through this today because we don't have time to do it. But the most important part is this line where we can run the numbers and say which one gives me the highest return on investment. And in this case, it was this property here, uh, Cross Street, which was being developed by Aventus Projects. Now, the reason we do this is, again, it's a structured, logical way of finding properties. We looked at the region. We looked at the suburbs. We 
searched for properties to find good deals, and then we ran some of the three best deals through our spreadsheet to figure out which one we are actually going to start investing in. So if you want to find properties yourselves, this is the way to do it. The other option you have, and I want to talk you through this, I realise I just scrolled past all of my data and screens <laughs> because I've got, it's terrible, I've always got a million things open. But your other option is, of course, to use a property investment company. So if you don't want to find it yourself, this is another way. Now, what property investment companies do is they will first of all create a property investment plan for you. So you've already seen uh, our software, My Wealth Plan, in action tonight. This is the software we use with all of our investors to create a property investment plan. What they'll then do <coughs> is go out and find new builds on your behalf. That's essentially doing those four steps that I just showed you. Doing the analysis on the region, looking at the suburbs, finding the properties, running them through a spreadsheet for you to help you run the numbers. That's the second thing that they'll do. And then the third thing they'll do is hold your hand throughout and encourage you and coach you to keep investing. And it's really important to tell you how property investment companies get paid because they often don't charge you a fee. The way this works is most property investment companies will have relationships with a whole number of developers. We have relationships with 97 here at Opus Partners. And what they'll do is if they can find the right property from the right developer and you say, you know what, that's a good investment, I'm going to invest in that, that's where they will take a fee from the developer. And that's the way that a property investment company, generally speaking, will not charge you any money for their service. So those are the two ways to do it. You can either find it yourself, do it yourself, or you can, in fact, use a property investment company at all. But what I do just want to say is if you um, are thinking about using a property investment company, you might like to consider us here at Opus Partners. Um, and there are just four reasons that, that you might like to consider that. The first is that uh, we use a lot of research to help make informed decisions. You've seen our graphs. You've seen our presentation tonight. Uh, we also have a process for checking developers, and I've got a whole article uh, about that. If you guys are interested, I'll, I'll share with that with you in the question and answer section. We've got spreadsheets to find the best properties. I've just shown you some of those. You can download them yourself for free. But also there's help there. If something does uh, unfortunately go wrong, or I should say when something goes wrong within property investment, because that often happens. Now look, it wouldn't be a webinar without offering you something to take the next step. So what I want to offer you is a portfolio planning session. Now this doesn't cost you any money yet. You don't have to give us your credit card details at all. There's, there's none of that. But if you want to take the next step in that portfolio planning session, you've got to work with a financial advisor to help you create a plan using that My Wealth Plan software. They're going to help pick the right properties for you, for your portfolio, whether that's a growth or a yield property, and they're going to hold your hand throughout. Now, this is right for people who are keen to invest in property in 2023 people who are open to new builds and who want to work with a financial advisor to actually create a plan. But look, it's not the right fit for everyone. Not everybody's going to absolutely love coming in for a portfolio planning session. So it's not going to be the right fit for somebody who's not interested in investing in property. <laughs> it's also not going to be right for people who only want to renovate. Now, let me be clear, we've got other services that are right for people who want to renovate, but it's not the portfolio planning session. So if you only want to renovate, 
I still want to help you. I've got some other things we might be able to help you with. But this specific service, the portfolio planning session, not going to be right if you only want to renovate. And if you prefer that find-it-yourself approach, that's all good. But this service, again, probably not going to be the right fit for you. So look, I'm going to stop chewing your ear off, but I'll do one final poll. Are you keen to come in for a complimentary portfolio planning session? Not going to cost you anything. Now, if you click the top button, I'm going to get somebody to give you a call tomorrow. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to cut you off. It's going to be over the next few days. Over the next <laughs> few days. Over the next few days. Sorry, Joy, Joy often gets quite busy after <laughs> a couple of hundred people say, hey, yes, I'd like to come in and see you. But over the next few days, we'll give you a buzz, book it a time to, to, to give you a call and book in that time. If it's not the right fit for you right now, or you're an existing client, no trouble. Just click the bottom uh, and we won't give you a buzz. I'm going to put that final poll across your screen and then you can just make the decision for yourself whether this is the right fit for you or not. And if it's not, no trouble at all. And I tell you what, just while people are doing that, we're then going to uh, move into the next phase and we're going to jump into the Q&A section. Oh, Taylor um, was in tonight. That's great. Who's Taylor? What's Taylor said saying? he was in this, uh, having a session this evening. So welcome, Taylor. Oh, Hopefully excellent. you enjoyed it. Oh, well, I hope you had your, your, your good portfolio planning session. You see, the, the wonderful thing about that session is after the hour, you actually walk away and whether you decide to work with Opus Partners in terms of finding a property or not is actually neither here nor there. But you get to walk away with that session with a plan, and it's probably about a three or four page plan that outlines what your strategy is. What do you need in order to retire comfortably so that you don't have to worry about turning on the heater at night and don't have to just have that $18 a week budget for fruit and veggies and some of those other things we talked about right at the start. So I tell you what, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into Q&A. But I always like to finish with saying, if you want to learn more, here's three ways you can do it. Either listen to the podcast, episode 1363 went live today. And I know so many of you listen to that podcast and we're so grateful that you do. We love having you as part of our property investment community. What was today's one? Oh, uh, don't buy these new builds. Uh, yeah. Uh, the second thing is subscribe to our YouTube channel, Opus Partners. We release new videos every Monday and Wednesday. And that's a great way to learn about property investment visually. And if you haven't already, buy the book Wealthplan. It's $39 with free shipping at wealthplanbook.com. Or if you don't want to pay the money, get it free from the library. I just uh, sent even more copies to Auckland uh, Library so that I think there's about 100 people at the moment who are on the wait list for that book at Auckland Public Library. Did and you? we've just sent some more books there so that more people are able to get it. Otherwise, buy it at wealthplanbook.com or pick it up at your local Whitcalls or Paper Plus. Guys, I know so many of you have bought that already and we are so grateful. Andrew, let's turn it into Q&A and let's make this a two-way conversation with everybody sitting at home. Uh, Michelle's asked, did you really send those uh, books to the library? Yes, we did send those books to the library. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you see property as a long-term investment, greater than 15 years, or a medium-term investment, 5 to 15 years? Uh, to put it another way, how long before you see a return on your investment? Um, Karen, it's probably, uh, that's a hard one to answer because it depends on what someone's situation is. So for some investors, like those people I met at the weekend, they have the equity to convert their growth properties into yield properties today. So 
they're going to see an immediate impact by changing their portfolio. Um, for most people, you need to be looking at property, if you're looking at growth, for a 15-year to 20-year window, generally speaking. But then that also goes with another question that um, Michelle put in the um, chat, but I won't hold that against her. No, sorry, not Michelle, it was someone else. said, <coughs> 52 to 56, is it too late? Um, whoever that was, I actually work with investors who are nearing retirement. Now, what it might be, and your situation is that you do have to wait 10 to 15 years to get the growth that you need. Now that's okay, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily work for 15 more years or 20 more years, it means that you have to uh, provide for yourself in those initial stages. So say, for example, it was a 15 year plan, um, then you might have to work or uh, fund your lifestyle for the first three years of retirement and then start to sell those properties. The really interesting thing, Andrew, is that sometimes I berate Andrew, and I'll tell you the reason why, Not is he sometimes. gets quite technical on these webinars. Now, here's what I want to say. A lot of what we share in terms of like the webinar content of you buy these properties, you wait 15 years or 20 years, then you sell them, then you do this, that is the standard strategy. The reason you talk to a financial advisor is when you want to take it to the next level and say, well, how might I make it work for my specific situation? And there are like alternative strategies. Like I remember working with an investor who was, I think, 60 years old on a really good income. Her strategy was actually she wasn't going to buy properties on interest only and hold them for 15 years. She was going to buy properties and pay off the mortgage aggressively because she had already uh, paid off her own mortgage and on top of that she didn't have as much time. So the strategy starts to change because the circumstances have changed. Andrew gave another great example as well. You might still have a 15 year plan, you want to retire at 65, but your plan's going to take longer than the retirement age, so you've got to find another way to sort yourself out for the first couple of years. So the plan changes based on what are the unique circumstances for the individual investor. Um, Arvin's asked a great question. I've seen this from a couple of people tonight uh, saying, are you supposed to pay off your loan in seven to 10 years? Look, right now there is a lot of social media advertising <laughs> from mortgage brokers. <laughs> and uh, both Andrew and I have seen it, we've talked about it on the podcast, saying how to pay off your, your mortgage in seven to 10 years. Now, I think we all deep down know what is the strategy to pay off your mortgage in seven to 10 years? you make extra repayments. Now, there is a whole episode we've done on the podcast where we debunked this idea that you can just put your money through a revolving credit or use a special mortgage trick to magically pay off your mortgage faster. The truth is the maths don't work. It might sound good in practice, and we take you through the technical details of how that actually works and the claims that are being made. Often, they don't stack up. The way you pay off your mortgage faster is by making additional repayments. Now that actually is gonna be the right solution for some people. And if you can do it, and if there's the ability to work your household budget so you can make extra repayments, that can absolutely be 
a life-changing financial decision. But there are alternatives that you'll want to explore too. So for instance, rather than putting an extra $300 in to pay off your mortgage, could that money better be used by, for instance, purchasing an investment property? Now, the answer is not going to be yes for everybody, but for some people it will be. And that's where you'll want to explore the options. But the one thing I'm just trying to get at with this specific answer is there isn't some magic potion or magic way to set up your mortgages where you're able to pay it off in a third of the time without making extra payments, which is some of the claims that I do see. And I'd refer you to that podcast. You'll be able to find it on the Property Academy podcast because uh, that gives you a good 15-minute analysis. Um, Aidy's asked, Hey guys, I'm in my late 50s and I was financially secured, but post having children and getting divorced, I'm now starting pretty much over again. Do I still have time to create a decent enough passive income um, compared to my uh, to complement my pension? Or do I have to keep working till I'm 70? Now, AD, that's not a question that we can ask uh, answer online without asking a whole lot more questions. And this is where it's really hard. But the best thing you're doing is you're actually asking that question now because um, people, if they don't ask that question, they don't know the answer. And then they get to 70 and think, holy hell, how am I going to survive? So... We don't, like like with um, channeling or revolving credit facilities, there's no secret source. The secret source is actually just doing it. So you have to sit down with a financial advisor and do some planning in your situation. And the answer might be no. You're not actually going to get the lifestyle that you want. So we need to start thinking about the things that we can cut out of your costs. And that's okay, but at least you know or at least you've got the opportunity that maybe you have to make some really hard sacrifices over the next five to 10 years and give up some of that disposable income. And then you might have to work a little bit longer and you might have to then trim some fat later on. But at least again, we're working towards something because it's going to happen whether you know about it or not. Now, Jody's got a really good question. I'm actually going to throw it to you, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Jody, well, it's actually not a question, but I'm going to turn it into a question. Jody said, I've got 160k left on my mortgage, so I'm going to pay the excess of that off get rid of that mortgage before I start investing in property. Now, Jody, that could absolutely be the right choice for you. I'm not saying it's the wrong financial decision. But Andrew, does somebody need to pay off their own home mortgage before they start investing? Um, so the answer is no, you don't have to, um, assuming that you can borrow money to invest in property. And actually, I'll tell you a good story. So um, a, a very close friend of mine, his parents came to see me a number of years ago, and they were... They were just your usual, um, he was a principal of a school, she was a nurse, a, um, a nurse, and um, they were diligent savers, they'd save some money, they paid off their mortgage, they put some money in KiwiSaver, but it wasn't a lot, and they came to me and started talking about investing in property, and I said, oh, here's how we're going to do it, we're going to borrow the money against your house, we're going to borrow some money against the rental property, you're going to top it, uh, uh, top it up a little bit, it wasn't much back then because rates were low, and they said, hang on. Can we invest without having paid off our mortgage? And they'd, they, they'd always been of the opinion they had to pay off their mortgage first. Now, they didn't have to. You might have to, to be able to make, this, uh, make it work for your budget. I don't know your circumstances. But um, it's a misconception that you have to have paid off your mortgage first. But it's a great place to start if you have. 
Um, hey, uh, one thing I just have seen in the chat, uh, Max said, uh, was talking about uh, Hannah McQueen, who is a best-selling author and financial advisor uh, in New Zealand. Uh, we know her well, actually. And uh, he said she has got a patented formula to pay off your mortgage within <laughs> 10 years. She put it in her book. And it's actually true. She does have a patent on that formula to pay off the mortgage. Now, there's one very, very important part or disclaimer within that book, and I've read, it, I've read that book, it's an excellent book, and I think Hannah McQueen is very, very credible. I'm not saying anything bad about her, but she says the part that she needed in order to pay off that mortgage quickly was extra income. She needed surplus. She needed money to pay off that mortgage faster. And so that's why her business enabled me, which is an excellent business, by the way. Fantastic. That business is all about training you to spend less so that you have more income available so you can pay off that mortgage faster. That's the key part. Now, I should just mention, I want to talk about this actually, um, the difference between a company like EnableMe and Opus Partners because they're different types of businesses. So with EnableMe, one of their key strategies is to create that surplus income, spend less, budget better so that we've got more income so we can pay off our mortgage and then start to invest in property. The only difference with uh, our approach is to say, well, you know what, you can start investing in property before you pay off your mortgage. Now, as I said before to Jody, um, there are two different approaches. You can start investing in property before you've paid off your mortgage, or for some people, the, uh, the right thing to do is to pay off your mortgage and then start to invest in property. It just depends what the right, what's right for you. Uh, but we often get that question of, what's the difference between Opus Partners and EnableMe? And that's generally the, the, the main difference. They've got a really good focus on budgeting uh, and then say, pay off your mortgage, then invest in property. Um, we, we tend to say, hey, look, you can start investing before you pay off your mortgage. What's your next question, Andrew? Um, Sarita, I see you've got a renovation service uh, to increase your rental income. Can we use that renovation service to uh, increase a, a property pre-sell in Christchurch? Uh, properties in Christchurch, I live in Otago, high maintenance, high income. Uh, is it better to sell as home or use cash flow? Um, that, yeah, that's actually a harder question than I thought it would be to answer live. Um, you probably have to sit down with Ilsa Wolf, who runs what you're talking about, Opus Accelerate, to see whether or not that's a beneficial service for you. Another one, I'm a newbie uh, investor here. Uh, my husband and I purchased our first investment property in March this year. Congratulations, Janelle. Um, we wondered when we'd likely be able to purchase a third. We're 38 and 44 years old, combined household income of 160. Firstly, awesome that you've done that. Great that you've started investing in, uh, on your journey. First one's always the hardest. I would say that probably a service like the Catalyst Investment Ready or downloading, can they download the, the that? Spreadsheet at the moment? Yeah, you can download it for free. Download our, uh, our Excel workbook that you basically put in where you're at at the moment and what you want to buy as your next property and the calculator will figure out what you need to do to be able to buy that next property. And it could be in two years, four years, seven years, doesn't matter. It will just map that out and then you start using some of the strategies in our book like the Earn Baby Earn and the Debt Destroyer to be able to get there faster. One thing I just want to show you as well is when we say, go download this thing, the way you do it is if you just go to our website, opuspartners.co.nz, our learn section is just... Uh, like, Off the chart. Look, I, I don't like to brag, 
But oh, it, is, it is out the gate. <laughs> so if you go to spreadsheets and ebooks, you can download our return on investment spreadsheet. You can download our ebooks. There's actually a few more I can see that we can upload. But what Andrew was just talking about is the oh, I need to, um, it's a bit grainy on your screen, so I'll zoom in. What you want to download is either the investment ready spreadsheet or the portfolio planning spreadsheet. Okay, Andrew, you asked about it, so I'll talk about it. Um, we've also got this excellent article section on our website. So we release just uh, about two to three articles a week um, exploring things like new builds versus existing, what's better, or how much deposit do you need for your first investment property. Uh, the LVR restrictions have just changed, so we've updated that. Uh, we've also got a really good article I'd recommend this to everybody about how much have the investors who work with us here at Opus Partners actually made. I have got such a uh, drive and interest in trying to be as transparent as possible with you guys so you can just understand where our kids at, how much money are people making, what do I need to worry about in terms of leaky homes, um, can I afford to invest. So um, honestly, jump into this learn section. It's just a beautiful thing. Now, Andrew, let's come back to the questions. So there was a, a general theme of some questions around the superannuation in the future and whether or not it will exist, whether or not it will be means-tested, whether or not it will change. Um, my uh, prediction is that it will change and it will be absolutely means-tested. And what that means is that if you've got a bunch of assets and you get to retirement, you won't qualify for the superannuation payment until you've used all your money. Now, that's how it works in the uh, um, retirement subsidy. So if you go to a retirement home and you've got more than 200 grand, you have to spend that money before the government kicks in. Now, um, if you want some, uh, oh, is that locked now? Um, there is an article on our website and the NBR actually published it and it was, will the superannuation still be around in 20 years? I'll show you it now, actually. Bring it up there. So this was by the National Business, Re well, actually it wasn't by the National Business Review, it was published on the National Business Review. But if I zoom in here, you'll see it's by, um, forget the subscribe button, sorry that's so large, it was by none other than our good friend uh, Andrew Nickel. You can actually get that uh, article for free on our website, anywhere there, you can just click that search button, you know, and I think it's will superannuation still be around, something like that. And, and I think that's this really important when you're building a plan that is uh, more than 15 years away, um, oh. to maybe think about whether or not you want to exclude that from your plan. So what I normally do, if I'm working with an investor, what I'll do is I'll build the plan with um, all the bells and whistles. So I'll factor in the superannuation, I'll factor in their KiwiSaver, and then I'll factor in you know maybe their continued savings. Then what we'll do is once we reach, achieve a particular goal, so say they're hundred thousand dollars in in um, twenty three years, like the example we used before. Once they've actually bought that first property, and now we know, hey, they're going to actually reach their goal, or they're ninety three percent of the way their goal. Then what we'll do is we'll start to eliminate some of that stuff that maybe isn't as certain in their mind. So hey, we're worried that we won't get as much superannuation. Cool, let's reduce it or let's take it away altogether. Hey, we're worried that maybe we were, we sorry, we're worried. We might retire at 60, so we might not qualify for our KiwiSaver withdrawal. Cool, let's get rid of that as well. And then if they get the extra, if they get their KiwiSaver out and they get their superannuation, that's just the icing on the cake. Now, we've probably got time for two questions, Andrew. Yep, so okay. let's do that. I really want to tackle Holly's here, where she said, do many people use the house they currently live in mm. 
as an investment property and then build a new property as their own home. Now, often that's not going to be the case. And I'll tell you the reason why. The first reason is that often the homes that we live in don't make sense as investment properties. And I, I think I might have a, um, a podcast uh, all about that. If I, I might search for it in a second to see if I can find it for you. Uh, but there are a number of reasons why we offer, why the houses that we've chosen to live in previously don't actually make good investment properties. Whether because we purchased them because we wanted to live in, to, live in it and it's not necessarily going to appeal to the wider market or increasingly today, the tax regime or the interest deductibility tax rules mean that the houses that we live in may not be suitable investment properties. And I'll, I'll give you some examples why. One issue that we often see with property investors is they currently live in their own home, as most people do, you live in your own home. Um, you've paid down the mortgage, so you've got a small mortgage. Then you go out, you buy a new build, and you borrow a lot of money for that new build property. Now, you might think, God, that investment property is going very well for us. But it's only going really well for you because the mortgage is low and you're paying a, a large mortgage on the new built house that you live in. And often that's not the way you want to set it up. But I tell you what, I'll refer you back to that podcast. Andrew, if you answer the next question, I will uh, uh, I will try and find that for you. Um, Eddie said, how strict are banks on bank statements? I had a holiday and had a good time. <laughs> yeah, uh, good on you. Did I write this? <laughs> um, and uh, But we'd like to buy our first home within the next few months. Had a chat with Sammy. Sammy's from our first home buyers division. If anyone here wants to talk to Sammy as well. Um, Eddie, they're getting a lot easier, but the best thing you can do is actually sit down with a mortgage broker and run through it with them and they'll say, we're not gonna submit this to a bank like this. You need to cut this, this and this out and then we can submit so we get an approval. But look, um, there are non-bank lenders if you get really stuck who don't probably look as bank, at bank statements as strictly. Um, but the triple CFA rules, which are the ones that affect your bank statements, they've eased off quite a bit, but it doesn't mean that they're not gonna look at your bank statements. I've got, I've got a investor that I'm working with at the moment who is dreadful with um, spending on uh, some of the fun things in life, and um, we've, we've managed to get her loan approved, so it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Um, just back on that, should I turn my own home into a rental? So I've just searched it on our website. There's quite a number of podcasts you might take a uh, look at. Oh, it looks like we might have frozen, David. Uh, ah, oh, I've my mouth. No, 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 we're back. We're not frozen anymore. Uh, you might look at episode 709. You might look at episode 1237. Um, I think we'll get this on, on your screens if we can. But if not, if you just search for Own Home Rental on our website, you'll be able to uh, find the relevant podcasts. Hey, look, we're going to wrap it up there because our technology is now failing, but we're going to do it anyway. Hey, look, we're so appreciative that you've stuck around with us. There are still over 350 people online after an hour and a half on a Tuesday night after the long weekend keen to learn about property investment and sort their retirements, build a passive income. And I just think that is so wonderful. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for engaging with each other. Thank you for answering each other's questions. We're going to be back again next month in about four weeks' time on another Tuesday night to teach you more about property investment. See you guys later. Can you whistle them out? No. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>